by Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Logan Anderson here as usual. Maybe someday we'll get somebody else to host this when you guys are tired of me. But until then, you're stuck. But right now we are joined by the person that you probably came here to hear from, not from me. So uh, Stan Cotton. The football and basketball voice of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And Stan, how are you today? I'm great, Logan. How are you? Thanks for the uh, chance to visit a little bit here. Uh, the pleasure is all on this side of the microphone, I can assure you. Um, we'll get the the stuff that you probably don't want to talk about out of the way early, so we can move on from there and have some fun with this, but... Uh, recently, of course, you were the play-by-play broadcaster who had an analyst who was, uh, I don't know if it's allegedly or if he was officially caught, feeding information to the opponents. And I don't want to talk about what he did or how he did it or anything like that, but as far as how you handled that in your broadcast immediately following that with that controversy kind of hovering over your head, how did you address it in the game and would you have done it any differently if you could do it again? Honestly, the, we had a uh, we had a broadcast the night after it broke. It broke on a Tuesday, and uh, the Dave Caution Show, our head football coach, his radio show is on Wednesday night. And uh, so, a little over twenty four hours later, we had a broadcast, and uh, both Coach Clawson and I felt that we had to deal with it then and. And uh, I opened up his show with just a, a personal word or two about the situation, and uh, then he followed suit with uh, with how he felt about some things. And and honestly, Logan, from that point on, we we never mentioned it again. We we did not mention it um, on our football broadcast, the bowl game. We didn't talk about it. It had been, you know, it was pretty far removed after that point. Um, and so we felt like it had been covered adequately, and uh, for us at least, from from our point of view, it was water over the bridge or under the over the dam or under the bridge, however you want to say that, depending on what part of country you're from. But um, again, we we dealt with it right out of the chute in our first opportunity on Dave Lawson's radio show, and then we moved on. And and honestly. Uh, I think the entire weight community has moved on from that. Uh, as odd of a situation as that was, we didn't know what else to do other than just put one foot in front of the other and, and move forward like we had for years and years and years prior to that. You know, it was, it was such a, an odd situation. I've never heard of that. And chances are we won't hear about anything like this in the future. Uh, I, I, this is I, This was my... 37th year on the year doing college sports. Never heard of it. Never heard of anything like that, quite honestly. Um, and so I, I, I dare would say that we'll never hear about it again. So uh, it was uh, certainly unprecedented as far as I was concerned, and, and certainly Coach Clawson, too. And 
but we, we chatted about it for just a few minutes and moved on. I think everybody, too, at that point, even though it was only a couple of days old, the story, uh, it had gotten so much coverage. There was so much national coverage and, as you can imagine, local coverage that by the time a couple of days had passed, uh, most of the nuts and bolts were known and and there wasn't a whole lot of new information. Still hasn't been a ton of, of new information, a little bit. And and so we, uh, again, we, we jumped on it and got out of the way and off we went. Have you noticed any residual effects from the incident just as far as your relationship with your coach and the willingness of which he gives up information on the game plan and that stuff to you and to your other current broadcast partners? Not at all. Again, we, we had one game to go uh, in, in the season. That was the bowl game, and, and we brought in Riley Skinner, who uh, had media experience. He is uh, Wake Forest's uh, all-time winning quarterback, owns most of the passing records at Wake, and uh, led Wake Forest to the Orange Bowl in 2006 and the ACC title, and is much beloved by our fan base, and, and, and Riley did a great... He, he does some work with uh, Raycom and the ACC Network, or had in the past, and and uh, uh, again, someone our, our fan base is just completely comfortable with, and uh, Riley did a terrific job. First time we had ever worked together uh, on a broadcast, but he did a terrific job in the bowl game, and and uh, uh, so from that point, uh, or, or from when it happened to that point, things with me, uh, with our coaching staff, were, were pretty nor- as normal as you could expect them to be. I, again, I, th- this was my 21st year at Wake. Um, Coach Clawson was in his third year. And I think one thing that that we all understand is that th- this wasn't a failure uh, uh, for Wake Forest, it wasn't a failure for IMG. It was one human being who who made a decision to to do some things that weren't right, and and it was taken care of. And so, uh, how things not only at, at Wake Forest but at other places will be affected by it remains to be seen. Um, but as far as how Wake Forest has has treated me, I, you know, I've been there so long pretty much a part of the family anyway. So uh, nothing changed for me at that point. As a matter of fact, on the day it broke, the, the Wake Forest community uh, was, uh, they just completely embraced me and understood that uh, this was a unique situation, one that was very hurtful to all of us uh, who were just blindsided by it. And, and the Wake Forest community and family embraced me like I knew that it would uh, with full support uh, and couldn't have been any better. So uh, we didn't skip a beat. We just kept on doing the things that we'd always done and and have continued to do that. Um, and, and nothing really has changed. One of the, maybe the side effects of that happening and everyone has to go through this at some point, it doesn't take a unprecedented, just kind of strange incident for this to happen, but breaking in a new analyst on short notice. I know you had said that in this case, you had worked with him to a degree before and that he was kind of involved uh, with the program and with the broadcast to a degree. How difficult was it to 
teach him how to fill that role on short notice before what was a really big game? Well, Riley had done uh, some television, uh, again, for Raycom and the ACC Network, had done some studio work as well. I had inter- I'd never done a game with Riley, um, but had interviewed him countless times during his, his four-year career at Wake. And on top of that, we're good friends. So uh, there was an immediate, I think, rapport between the two of us in, in the broadcast booth. And uh, again, Riley had done games on television, so the uh, opportunity to do a game, even though it was on radio, and I don't think he'd ever done a radio game, wasn't com- wasn't all that different from from what he had done and had experience doing. So, uh, again, it, it was an easy transition for him. He knows our program, follows our program still closely. Uh, lives in Florida now with it, with his family, and where he has his his family has a business, um, but has remained in touch with Wake Forest. Uh, since he graduated and moved on. So, um, and it wasn't that long ago. So uh, all of that was just uh, a very easy thing for him. And and again, Riley and I had such a good personal relationship uh, that being on the air together, talking about a really good football game, and it happened to be a Wake Forest win that day over Temple uh, was, was pretty easy. So uh, we tried to stay away in the broadcast from uh, a, a lot of, uh, real strict analysis of what was going on, on on the field. We we instead just tried to talk about the, the the season that we had. Now we didn't we didn't shy away from what was going on on the field at all. I think that would have been a mistake. We didn't do that. But at the same time, we we tried to just continue to to paint a broader picture of the kind of season Wake had had, which was you know a seven win season compared to three wins the year before and and three wins the year before that so a lot of really good things to talk about uh some terrific players terrific young players for wake a few that have moved on uh after their senior year but but we had a lot of good things to talk about uh in that broadcast and he handled it very well so now this might not be something that you see directly but the trickle-down effect from something like that happening? Because I know just covering small-town high school football and basketball games that sometimes asking for stats is like pulling teeth because they're afraid you're going to share it with uh, the coaches of the team you cover, which, of course, 99.99% of all broadcasters don't do. But do you see the possibility that that might uh, make other coaches around the country even more suspicious when they shouldn't be? Well, I'm not sure if they shouldn't be. I think probably uh, any coaching staff uh, wants to make sure that uh, that what it's working on during the week doesn't fall into the hands of the opponent. Now, there aren't there aren't very many secrets. I mean, everybody's on television every week, and and all of those games are are there to be had. And each school produces volumes of statistical analysis of, of every single player and the offenses and the defenses. So none of that stuff is new either. Um, but at, at the same time, uh, I, I don't think there's any question that, that coaches who are uh, protective by nature, and they should be when you think about it, they really should be, um, but they're going to be even more so uh, now. I, I don't think there's any question. And I've, I've talked to some uh, and, and talked to some other broadcasters about once this happened at Wake, that their coaches became a little 
uh, a little more leery of, of sharing uh, information, and that's uh, I think that's just part of it. That that, that is part uh, of the trickle down that we're all going to have to deal with now. Has it changed a thing for me uh, thus far with, with with Wake basketball? I was I was there uh, today uh, with our coaching staff as they worked on game plan and schemed the other team, and and that's all fine. I mean they they have complete trust in me, and I've never given them any any reason not to be, and it's probably that way at ninety nine out of a hundred places, if not more. Um, 99 and a half, whatever you want to say. I mean, I, again, I, going back to what I said earlier, I think the situation of, of one person making, making some bad decisions, making a big mistake, it's not a systemic problem, I don't think, at all. I don't think it's a problem at all, again, anywhere that I, I've heard of, other than uh, we, we had to deal with it at, at Wake Forest. And, uh, but, again, I think uh, uh, coaches will maybe think twice about, how much access they might give the media, uh, but that that'll be handled obviously at a at a school by school and then a team by team basis. And uh, but but broadcasters are going to have to deal with some of that. They already have um, since it happened to us. So that makes the ability to gain the trust and build positive relationships with coaches maybe even more important, and it sounds like you have been very, very successful in doing it. What are some of the keys to earning that trust and building that relationship the way that you want it to be? Well, I, you know, I think it's just about, it's just about uh, you know, investing time. Um, I try to go as many practices as I can. I try to get involved in other events on campus that the teams are involved with. Um, show up in the office just to say, hey, you know, just coach, how you doing? You know, uh, we travel with the team. That makes it easier. Um, when you're interacting with, with the coaches and players at, at hotels and at, at eating facilities and all those kinds of things. But uh, try not to be someone who just shows up at, at the game and, and broadcasts the game, but has invested time throughout the week uh, pretty much on a daily basis um, trying to learn about that team, understand why the coaches do what they do. Um, just kind of weave yourself in, into the fabric of, of that team. And, and I've always tried to do that, no, no matter where I have. And I enjoy it. It, it doesn't seem like, like work to me. And, it, and it, I think without question, it makes your broadcasts uh, richer when you can go on the air and, and your fan base knows that uh, you know more about this team than anyone else because you've been there. And you can say on a Saturday broadcast, well, on Wednesday when I was at practice, I saw this and I talked to this player or that coach and he said this about that. And so um, when you can give your fan base that, that kind of inside access, if you will, I, I think it pays dividends. And I think it, it helps you paint a, a fuller, richer picture when you go on the air. When you get tidbits and nuggets from practice that you share on the air, there's probably nine or ten other things you could talk about that you don't share on the air. How do you decide what to share with the audience and what to keep to yourself? 
Well, that's a good question. I think uh, you just have to kind of take it as it comes and and deal with each each player as an individual. And for instance, if you're just sitting around a hotel lobby and and you're talking about whatever topic and and a player shares something in confidence with you, you would never obviously betray that. Um, and I think you they they probably it's 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 never bad to ask hey if 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 this topic comes up on the broadcast do you mind me mentioning that i i think that's the that's a good way to do it too and if they say yeah i really really not then 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 again never betray that trust but there are certain things that um too you might see for instance uh, at a wednesday football practice you might see a wide receiver turn an ankle um and if that's not information that uh, is known widely, then you probably keep that to yourself. And once the game comes, then you might be able to mention that on the ear. You know that uh, you you observe that during the middle of the week. That might be a reason why a certain player hasn't played as many snaps as normal, or or something along those lines. But um, you certainly never betray anyone's trust, and and you don't share personal information and they might tell you something that happened between them and a friend or a teammate in the locker room had a big disagreement or something. And, you know, probably that type of information you you don't share unless you clear it with, with, uh, both. If there are more than, there's more than one player involved with each of those people, you know? So yeah, it's just common sense really. Um, and, and decency, and um, you know, you want to continue to have a relationship with those players. Once, if you ever burn them, then that relationship is gone, and and you, you couldn't expect to uh, to to have the same kind of access, at least with that individual that you had prior to that. Have you ever, in you know, twenty plus years of broadcasting? made a mistake like that where you did accidentally maybe burn somebody and you had to try to repair it. How would you do that? I can't recall a time when, when I've done that. Um, but I can imagine that would be very difficult to, uh, to repair once, once you betrayed someone's trust. I think just like in any normal relationship, that would take a lot of time. Uh, it, it really would. And, uh, I mean, just put yourself in the position of of one whose uh, trust was betrayed. I mean that 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 uh, that's an injury that sometimes I mean you can for, forgive it, uh, but maybe the consequence of that is you know while I'm still here playing, I'm just not going to talk with you much anymore. So I, uh, but if if you're the broadcaster, uh, that um, again is just going to take continued investment of time and and you may run out of time before that player gets out of school and and moves on so uh with a coach you might have more more time to repair something like that but it's it would take a lot an awful lot of of uh repeated opportunities to hang on to somebody's trust and and have information and not uh not burn that bridge once you've done it i mean it's going to take a long time to to repair. So, but I can't, I can't think of, of a time over almost 40 years now, once I started when I was a teenager that I'd ever done that. I mean, it's, I wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, you certainly wouldn't want that done to you. And, and, uh, I think we all, uh, as best we can try to treat people like we want to be treated. 
That's a nice segue to how did you get into the broadcasting business? You just mentioned that you had been doing it since you were a teenager. You know, what was your start in broadcasting and what was your break into doing it professionally? Well, it, it, it was odd. I mean, I had, when I was a younger person, uh, going to high school, I, I enjoyed listening to games and, and on the radio and, and watching games on television, but really never had thought about it as a career. I wanted to play as long as I could. I was I was on a pretty good football team and was a fairly highly recruited quarterback uh, in high school in Tennessee and and wanted to have a college career and and who knows uh, from that point on and uh, you know when you're a teenager everybody's going to play in the NFL right and so um, but I, I tore an ACL twice in one year in about a year's time uh, and so back in the 1970s when you did that your your career was over I mean, there wasn't there there weren't many ACL repairs going on back then. And so um, I got a, a part-time job at the radio station that was carrying our games um, and was, was working there when I was a sophomore in school at Tennessee. And the high school football coach that I played for had gotten a college job, a small college, a Carson Newman College in, in Jefferson City, Tennessee at the time was in NAIA school is now a Division II school. And by the way, uh, Ken Sparks, the head football coach, just retired this season, uh, not because he wanted to. He's he's fighting for his life. He's battling cancer right now. And after 37 years at Carson Newman, uh, retired just a few weeks ago. But he was my high school football coach. And, and once he got that job at Carson Newman, I was 19 years old, a sophomore at Tennessee, and, and working part-time at the radio station. And he called me up and he said, "Hey, you're you're kind of into this sports casting a little bit. Would you like to broadcast the Carson Newman football games?" And so I said, "Sure, why not?" <laughs> so uh, did my first game when I was 19 years old and in my second year in college at Tennessee. And once I did that, I was hooked. And uh, I continued to do Carson Newman games for for 12 years and went on from there to Marshall University for four years and. Uh, have been at Wake Forest now. This is my 21st. So it was just kind of one of those deals. I kind of fell into it, and once I got into it, I loved it and knew what I wanted to do for a living the rest of my uh, adult life. And here I am, 37 years later, still doing it, and it, it doesn't, still doesn't feel like work to me. So uh, kind of fell backwards into it and just kept on. What were some of the breaks along the way on your path? You mentioned that you started at Carson Newman. How did you end up at Marshall? Ended up at Marshall. It was kind of odd. I, I woke up one day and, and I'd been at Carson Newman for 12 years. I knew I wanted to, to do play-by-play for you know the rest of my working career uh, and just looked up one day and I'd been there 12 years. And I thought, well, you know, and it's not that I necessarily wanted to leave uh, Carson Newman. I had a terrific relationship with Coach Sparks, still do. He was He was in my wedding and has mentored me in so many ways for 40 plus years now. Uh, was just at his house not long ago, visiting with him as he as he deals with his cancer. But um, but just thought, you know what? Let me just kind of look around and see what's out there. And and uh, the the Marshall job came open, and uh, I applied for it. What was kind of crazy about it was applied for it went, interviewed for it. There were two or three people that interviewed for it. 
and at the end of the interview, just didn't feel that that it was the right time. Um, and I don't know if they would have offered me the job at that point anyway. Um, but I told them at the end of the interview, it just probably wasn't going to work out. And so uh, they hired someone else, and it happened to be Wes Durham, uh, who's now the voice of the Atlanta Falcons and doing a lot of television uh, and doing a fantastic job. A good friend of mine has been forever, and Wes went to Marshall. Um, they offered him that job, and a year later, Wes left for Vanderbilt, and Marshall called me after a year and, and said, let's try to work this out. And uh, we worked it out, and, and I went to Marshall for four years and had four fantastic years at Marshall. It really was for the best years of my professional life. It was a great time to be at Marshall. Uh, after uh, two seasons, Billy Donovan got there as the head basketball coach, got to work with Billy for a couple of years. And Jim Donnan, who, had, who was at uh, Georgia for a number of seasons after his tenure at Marshall was there. My first year, Marshall won the national championship in football. It was the one double A level at that time. And so it was just a great time to be at Marshall. Football was, was big and winning and Billy Donovan completely turned the basketball program around uh, overnight and uh, just a lot of great people to work with, uh, there in sports information and administration and, and the coaches and, and the other athletic teams and, and just the community really embraced everything about Marshall. And again, it was, uh, for the best years of my life. And, uh, and, but then had, had the chance to come to Wake Forest and, and we certainly have loved being here over two decades now. What were the breaks and the circumstances that ended up with you getting the job at Wake Forest? That, that, that's an interesting one too, because just like the Marshall situation, I got it on my second time through. Um, when I was at Carson Newman, the, uh, the, uh, the, the job came open at Wake Forest and I was a very young man at the time and, and interviewed for it in, in Winston-Salem, didn't get it, uh, went on obviously a few years later to go to Marshall and we, we've just gone through that story, but, um, once it came open again after my fourth year at, at uh, Marshall, I'd already met some of the people uh, at Wake Forest, most notably Ben Sutton, who had was on staff at, at, at uh, Wake Forest, whom I had interviewed with the first time a number of years prior to that and gotten to know uh, professionally and personally. And he, again, was on staff at Wake Forest, left Wake Forest to start ISP, which was the front runner to IMG. Uh, whom I work for now, but uh, uh, after my fourth year at, at uh, Marshall, the, the Wake Forest job came open again, and I talked to Ben Sutton about that and uh, interviewed for it and was offered the job and, and have been there ever since. That was 96-97, that athletic year. So um, got the Marshall job the second time through, got the Wake Forest job the second time through, and and uh, again, we've, we've been here for, for 21 fantastic years it was a, a great move for us and we've raised a couple of girls here in winston-salem and absolutely uh love being a part of this uh university and this community it's interesting that you mentioned that the second time around was the time that you got the job on both of your major stops along the way a lot of people get very frustrated when they don't get a job they get down on themselves potentially but as you shown that that could not getting the job could be what opens the door to the future. How important do you see it to not 
get upset, not get down on yourself, and make sure you're not burning that bridge? Well, I, I think that uh, you know, timing is, is so critical in, in most jobs, not just mine, but um, most jobs anywhere. Right person, right time, right circumstances. Um, and, and I think it, it takes a few smart people to figure that out. Um, if you're, if you interview at a place and it, and it doesn't work out, there, there's a reason why it didn't. It doesn't mean that they didn't like you. It doesn't mean that they don't think you're qualified or, or that you wouldn't be a good fit. They just had another situation they felt was better. Doesn't make you a, bur- a bad person. Doesn't make them bad people for saying, you know what, it's not going to work out. And so you you thank people for the opportunity. You go back to where you were and work as hard as you can. And then the next time an opportunity comes up, put your best foot forward, and and eventually it's going to work out. In my case, it just happened to work out at two different places the second uh, time around. So, uh, and and both situations for me worked out perfectly. I, I look back on my my time at Marshall again, and it, I wasn't just banging the door to, to leave Marshall. I loved it there. Uh, it was a fantastic place to be. And I still have some of the best friends I've ever had. They're right there in Huntington, West Virginia. And some of the people at Marshall are still there. And I've stayed in contact with them all these years. I try to get back to Huntington at least once every uh, two years, if not every year to, to see a game uh, and visit with people and, uh, uh, so again, it's, it's, uh, you know, people get jobs for reasons. People don't get jobs for reasons. And, and, and more times than not, it's not that anything's wrong necessarily. It's just that, um, all the, all the parts don't fit just right. And, uh, I can tell you from experience, you don't want to be at a place that it's not right for you, whether that's, the job itself, or whether it's timing, or or or, or whatever, um, you, you want to be at at a place when the time is right, where not only you want to be there, but the people who hired you they want you to be there, and, and it's a great fit. Uh, more times than not, if it's a great fit, then it's going to last. And so, I mean, I could still be at Marshall today. I mean, I, it was again not a place I was looking to leave. It just happened that. Uh, uh, when when the Wake Forest job came open, I had interest in that uh, previously. And uh, growing up in Knoxville, in Tennessee, right next door to North Carolina, uh, had grown up following the ACC as as well as the SEC, which I grew up with. But and so that that was intriguing for me, and and uh, enough so that that uh, that I, I worked hard to try to get to Wake Forest, and, and it and it worked out that second time. So um, I, I just you know, people need to slow down. People need to be patient, and you know, it, it uh, it'll work out if if you just give it a chance and uh, work hard at wherever you are. Try to get better every day. Every day you can get better. It doesn't matter if you're 26 or 56. Um, there there are ways to to, to get better and uh, treat people well, and 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 things will work out. What do you do at 56? I'm assuming that's what you are since you said it. Uh, maybe you just that's said right. it as a random <laughs> number. But what do you do at 56 to get better every day? Well, you just keep 
working at it. Uh, and, and most of the work in broadcasting comes before you ever go on the air. Um, I think if you ever get sloppy in your in your preparation and your research, it's going to show up on the air. If you say, "Well, I've 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 been to enough practice, I don't have to to go this week," I, th- those types of decisions are are mistakes. I think um, you see different things every practice you go to, or each time you sit down with someone, you'll 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 find out something new. Each time you pour over. Um, a, a release from a school, you'll you'll find a, a piece of information. Uh, maybe it's presented a different way by a different school that you had never really thought about, and you you're able to include that in a broadcast. Um, I think broadcasters are a lot like a lot of things in that it, they, they just continue the season. Uh, I think that's why some of your better broadcasters are older. Ones. That doesn't mean there there isn't great young talent. There is. It's everywhere. Um, but you look at some of the more seasoned broadcasters, it just, it takes a long time to, to get there, I think. Um, and I think a lot of younger broadcasters probably make the mistake of wanting too much too soon. Um, and they, uh, maybe in their quest to, to get to a certain place, they, they, overlook some things because they don't prepare like they should. So I don't know. I, I, I just think that, uh, again, you can, you can learn a lot, uh, every day and every game and, and, you know, every game is new. Every ball game is different from the one you just called. Uh, things happen differently every game. That's why they're so exciting to me because you just never know, um, uh, what you're going to see, what you know, what's going to happen in this one? What kind of crazy finish might there be? What what kind of incredible performance from an individual might we see? Uh, that's what makes sports so exciting because once that ball's thrown up or kicked off or whatever, uh, you really truly don't don't ever know. I want to just make sure I'm correct on this first. I tried to match up the years. I'm notoriously horrible at math, but I believe your first year was Tim Duncan's senior year at Wake Forest. Is that correct? That is correct. That's an easy marker for me. Tim Duncan's last year was my first year. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, uh, it was 96-97, an easy year for me to remember, and uh, a great way to start my tenure at Wake with uh, one of the great players of all time. So, you have the numbers correct. So when you're broadcasting Tim Duncan games, what made him special? Could you tell that he was going to become what he did while he was at college? Well, Tim Duncan was one of those special players. And, and I knew before I got there that th- this guy was, was something else. Um, you know, I, I, I fully expected Wake Forest to go to the Final Four that first year. I was young and naive and thought that you know it wasn't that difficult to get to the Final Four. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tim was just – Tim was Tim. I mean, what you saw then is, is what you saw for all those many years with the San Antonio Spurs. He just uh, was an incredible – gifted basketball player, one of the best we have seen and will ever see. And uh, he worked hard. He competed hard. Uh, he he just gave it everything he had um, all the time. And he could care less, quite honestly, about himself. He was one of the more unselfish players that I think I've ever been around. I, I don't think Tim 
and I can't remember, it's been so long, I can't remember talking to him about this, but I, I, I'd bet you a dollar to a donut I'm right. He could care less about how many points he scores, how many rebounds he has, as long as his team wins. And I think that's why he was such a perfect fit for the San Antonio Spurs. That That's the kind of player that Greg Popovich wants, and he, he, he fills his roster with that type of a player, and that's why they win so much, I think. And he was just the absolute perfect kind of player uh, for Greg Popovich because he's just so unselfish, makes everybody around him better, uh, and just looks for ways to, to improve every time he steps on the floor and, and – uh, again, is just one of the all-timers. But with Tim Duncan, you know, you saw off of the court, every now and then you'd see glimpses or hear from other players that he was kind of a jokester and a prankster and had a lot of personality that he didn't let people in on. Give us a t- couple off-the-floor Tim Duncan stories from your time following him on the road. Well, that's going to be almost impossible. It's been so long. Um uh, you know, over, over 20 years, I honestly don't. And in my first year at wake, I was so probably wide eyed that, that I missed a lot of that stuff. Um, but I know that, that, that Tim was certainly liked by his teammates, uh, and, and respected by his teammates. They, they knew that, that he was a special player. They knew that he wasn't just your average college basketball player. Um, now Tim's comes across as, as, introverted I think to a lot of to a big degree that he is I remember his uh, Hall of Fame induction speech was so typically Tim it was four or five sentences and that was it and from anybody else he would have said come on man you got to do better than that but from Tim that was that was okay that was just Tim and I don't think many of us expected he would he would uh, go any longer than that at all. I, I watched his, uh, when they retired his jersey at San Antonio uh, a few months back, I remember watching that online. I was shocked that he went, I don't know, five or six minutes in, in his remarks. I was absolutely shocked. I, I don't think I've ever heard Tim Duncan uh, say that many words. It was, it was always interesting and difficult uh, trying to interview Tim because he, number one, I don't, think he was all that comfortable with it, maybe with the limelight. Oh, maybe why don't you talk to somebody else? I think intellectually, he knew that obviously he scored all the points and got all the rebounds and blocked all the shots, and and naturally people wanted to talk to him. But um, I think he would have gladly let his teammates uh, do more of the interviews that that he had to do. Um, But Tim being Tim, he knew that was kind of part of the deal and, and uh, came with the territory, and so he obliged. Now, uh, he didn't give you a lot. He, he didn't let you inside himself very much. Uh, didn't let you, you know, you couldn't crack that exterior too much. But but he certainly did uh, uh, laugh away from the court and, and have fun with his teammates and uh, was certainly a likable guy. I liked Tim Duncan a lot. Um, I remember once it was a few years after he had left Winston-Salem. Um, my family and I had, had gone to church, and then uh, we were eating at a Mexican restaurant, which was right next door to a gas station. 
and my daughters obviously knew who Tim Duncan was, and and uh, we we came out of the the restaurant, and there was Tim Duncan at his car pumping gas. And again, this was a number of years after Tim had left Winston Salem, so it was we were kind of taken aback by seeing Tim Duncan standing there. And both my girls were, "Wow, it's Tim Duncan!" And so uh, we uh, we drove over there, and 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 Tim stopped what he was doing and and engaged with my girls and spoke to us, and uh, we had a good time with him and was very approachable, and, and as I knew he would be. I mean, that's just really who Tim is. Um, but he. Uh, He's he's a special nut now. He uh he 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 is one of Wake's favorite sons without question and uh we are certainly proud of him. I know the university is so proud of the way he uh carried himself not only at Wake Forest but but during his professional career and is such a great uh representative of the school and and I can't I can't remember anyone ever saying anything bad about Tim Duncan. He is just one of the most loved individuals that uh, the university has ever produced at, at any level. We'll move on from one of the great big guys of all time that you had the pleasure to cover to one of the greatest little guys of all time that you also got the pleasure to cover in college. Give us some Chris Paul stories. Wow, Chris Paul. I, there's one that uh, he he surprised me a little bit. I we all knew Chris was good. I I missed the boat on how good he was when he left uh, after his sophomore season at Wake Forest. I, I thought it was too early. Now my partner uh, Mark Freidinger, who scouts for the Spurs, he uh, he felt that. Chris Paul was ready, and uh, that Chris Paul was going to have a great career. I, I thought uh, Chris would have a, a good career. I, I didn't think he would have this kind of career. I really didn't. I just and I and I missed it. And it's uh, now. Don't get me wrong. I, I thought he was a great player and all that, but I, I just uh, misjudged him. He was he he was an interesting guy in that when he was at Wake. He played. He didn't look like he played. I mean, he still had kind of a baby face, and uh, he, he smiled a lot. had had a Hollywood smile, and uh, but in terms of just being a cold-blooded killer on the court, that's what he was. He wanted to beat you so badly. He competed so hard, and at such a. Uh, I mean, he was full tilt from the get-go, right right out of the shoot. Uh, Chris Paul was coming out on the floor to beat you, and he didn't care what he had to do to do it. Um, and then off the court, he's just as happy-go-lucky and fun and smiling and laughing and uh, you know making fun of people and just having a good time. That that's Chris, and another very likable uh, person. And it's it's been interesting to see him develop relationships with players uh, in the NBA now that he competed against in college. That you know he would. He would do anything he could to beat. Uh, uh, and then off the court, you know, they have these great personal relationships. So, um, but but Chris was, uh, again, he was a very, 
uh, we knew he was special, but I personally just missed probably on uh, how good he was going to be right away and how good certainly he has become. Uh, how good he will be, who knows. Uh, but don't ask me because I missed it the first time. <laughs> He'll probably uh, be one of the, the all-time greats before he leaves. But uh, he's, he's something special too. So when I was doing a little bit of research, trying to find a couple things out about you, there wasn't a whole lot to find, but one of the things I did find was there is a fake Twitter account for Stan yeah. Cotton. <laughs> is that when you knew you made it, when there was a fake Twitter account about you? Well, that that's when uh, a lot of my buddies and some of the athletes at Wake, you know, they're like, oh, okay, boy, you're big time now. You've, you've got a fake, you've got one of those types of deals, so... Which is pretty funny if if you look at it. The the guy I've never met him, but uh, uh, he is pretty funny. has a has an interesting take on on Wake Forest sports, and uh, I enjoy uh, reading some of his uh, antics. I think he he uh, he's got a unique perspective. I'll put it that way. Do you occasionally interact via Twitter with him, or do you just kind of read from a distance? I can't. I, I can't remember. I had to. I was dragged into Twitter, kicking and screaming by IMG. It just really, uh, it probably because I'm a little older than I used to be. I just I don't want to mess with the Twitter. But it started. It's been I guess a couple years now, and I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. I I use it solely to uh, promote Wake Forest and and IMG and our broadcasts and. Uh, try to have fun with it. Uh, I said solely. There, my every now and then, I might drop in one little personal thing about my family or something like that. But, but it's it's by and large just to promote our broadcast and the athletes at Wake and uh, not just the football and the basketball teams, but but the other teams as well. And it's it's fun interacting with fans. I can't remember if I've. Um, and his account is Ya Boy Stan Cotton, and I can't remember if if I've engaged with him directly or not. Uh, but if I have, it was maybe once or twice. Um, and that's not because I don't think I should. It's just um, I, I don't. Um, I, I try to just kind of stand back and and attack it from thirty thousand feet. And, and uh, but if he directly engaged me, I would probably engage him back. I, I try to uh, when when fans directly ask a question or, or 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 try to get something started with me more times than not i'll try to go back and forth with them not all you can't do all of it but uh, uh i think if 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 i can i try to do that uh, more times than not um because most fans are just you know out looking for information or trying to you know follow their team and i think that's a great thing do you ever have any issues with what I like to call the dark side of Twitter where, you know, maybe people are being critical of you or something you said or one of your broadcasts, even though they don't know anything about it? Well, there certainly is that, that side of, of social media, and it's unfortunate, but I, I don't – that's just the way it is. And if you're a broadcaster or an athlete uh, – and, and you put yourself out there to be judged, people will judge you. That's fair. Um, that's fair game. And, and I don't, I don't mind being uh, criticized. That's fine. Um, but when people get personal, I mean, it, it, 
and I can't remember people, anybody getting personal with me, but, um, you know, what can you do? I mean, they, they have the freedom to do that. And if they choose it, they choose it. That that's, that's on them. Um, but most, most fans by and large are, um, are supportive and, uh, they want Wake Forest to do well, and and they enjoy, by and large, uh, what we do on the air. We're not perfect, but uh, we 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 try to give them a a really good broadcast, and and I think more times than not we do. Give us some broadcast horror stories uh, from life on the road, or some horribly malfunctioning equipment, or something that just went horribly wrong involved with your sportscasting career that mortified you at the time, but now you can look back and laugh, and I can tell you're already laughing about it, so I'm expecting something good. Well, I, I don't know about good, but any time you do live anything, uh, ask Adele uh, at the Grammys. I think it's happened to her twice. Any time you do something live, you had better be ready for something to go wrong because sooner or later it's going to go wrong uh, and you're going to have to deal with it, whether it's a mistake you make, whether it's a, an equipment malfunction because things don't, you know, you can't expect expect equipment to work right all the time. It just doesn't. So um, had a situation this year uh, down in Charleston early in the basketball season and if it if we hadn't been in a tournament situation, I would have probably been up the river. Uh, we were just about ready to, to to go on, and I don't want to get too technical with people, but our main board, the main the brains, I guess, of of our equipment just went kaput. And UTEP, which is another IMG school, was beside us, and we ended up doing. Once they got through with their post-game show, we just slid over and, and used their equipment and and got it back to them uh, after the game. Um, I, don't, I don't know what we would have done had we just been there to, to play Charleston in a, in a single game and um, and our equipment died like that. And we, we have backup equipment for most of the things that we have. We, we try to be prepared for most of those things. Uh, but in basketball right now, I don't have an engineer. I'm it. So uh, I'm there working on that gear myself and setting it up and tearing it down and broadcasting the game and, and babysitting it while the game's going on. And, and a lot of a lot of teams do that now. A lot of broadcast setups are that way in basketball now where there isn't an engineer. Um, I think the equipment is such that, that uh, it's smaller than it used to be, takes, takes less parts to, to do uh, what we need it to do. And, and um, so a lot of us are now doing that, and that, that's fine. But um, but but every now and then things don't work. There was also a game this year where I'm supposed to go on the air at the bottom of the hour, and and it was about 20 minutes later before they could come live to me, and they had to fill back in the studio instead of doing our normal uh, pieces from from on site. But uh, our studio host Phil Brame is his name. Uh, didn't skip a beat. We went on, and, and people driving down the road probably just thought that uh, we had changed up our, our pregame show for, for whatever reason. They didn't really know that, that we were having major issues on site that we that we uh, 
fixed about 10, 10 minutes before tip-off. So those things happen. Um, then there are times when when it's it's your fault where you say something wrong or you make a mistake. I remember my very first football broadcast at Wake Forest. We played Appalachian State, same colors. And this is my first broadcast now. Team amasses at the you know outside the locker room, runs onto the field, and I do this. Oh, here comes Wake Forest. Well, it was Appalachian running onto the field, and uh, you know, of course, inwardly I'm horrified. Um, but I just covered it with, with, um, I just kind of kept on, didn't, didn't alert people to the fact that I'd made that mistake. Um, but now if there were people at the stadium, um, watching and and listening, then (laughs) they knew I'd made a huge mistake. Um, and those things happen, but you know, how quickly you think on your feet and, uh, you know, you can save yourself, and, and sometimes you can't. I, there was a game where we had mistimed uh, some pre-recorded things that we had, and we missed the opening kickoff. We were in <clears throat> a big commercial break when the kickoff happened. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, kick returner took it back 92 yards. Didn't score a touchdown, but took it back uh, 92 yards, and when this was going on, my spotter and statistician and uh, analysts were looking at me like, what are we going to do? I can't believe we've, we've done this. I said, hang on. And once we got live to the stadium and the kick returner had been knocked out of bounds and the team was over there giving him high fives and all that, and I just kind of recreated the play as if we hadn't missed anything. Um, and probably the people who were there watching with and then with headphones on just thought there was a incredibly long delay for whatever reason <laughs> uh in, in the broadcast now quickly I caught up to it because uh I think the Deeks a couple plays later were in the end zone we caught up to them and and uh and 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 we were fine but um so you just you know there there are ways to cover mistakes and and people don't know it i mean there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in what we do um but then there're obviously times when you make a mistake uh, on the year and, and everybody knows it and you just have to take a couple steps back and correct it and move on and and most folks are willing to uh, forgive you for those types of mistakes uh, some aren't but uh, most are you live in central north carolina in winston salem which is kind of in a strange oasis of sports casting talent. There's a lot of really good broadcasters there. That's where the National Sports Media Association is headquartered. What is it about that area that just kind of teams with sports casting? Well, I mean, look at all all the teams that are here. I mean, it uh, you know, when you consider that 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 Duke and North Carolina are what eight miles apart. And, you know, for all those years, you had Bob Harris and Woody Durham, and, and now you have uh, Jones Angel at Carolina, and, and uh, Bob Harris is retiring after this year. And But when you consider North Carolina states uh, in North Carolina, Wake Forest, then you just you just keep going. There's uh, professional teams. There's hockey. There's football. There's, uh, you know, basketball professionally. There's 
other colleges, East Carolina, North Carolina, Wilmington, UNC Charlotte, Davidson, Western Carolina, UNC Asheville. I mean, just there are schools everywhere uh, in North Carolina at all different divisions. Uh, and we could go on and on and on. And uh, it, it it is a state with so many broadcasting jobs in it, uh, not to mention all the television markets, the Raleigh, uh, Durham market, uh, the Charlotte market. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's very unique in that regard. I mean, when I was at Marshall, uh, there were some smaller schools, yes, but I mean, there was really, it was a, a two horse town. I mean, it was, you were either a Marshall fan or a West Virginia fan, uh, typically, um, but in North Carolina, it's, it's, it's not that way. You might be a Carolina Panthers fan and don't want anything to do with college football, or, or you might be a, a Hornets fan and don't want anything to do with the Hurricanes, the hockey team, or, you know, just whatever you want to do here. And on top of that, there's golf. I mean, there's the Pinehurst Resort and there are PGA events in Charlotte. I mean, in Greensboro, it's just, it's crazy. It is, uh, it is a sports state. It is packed from, from the mountains to the coast and, and and everywhere in between and so therefore there are a lot of incredibly wonderful broadcast opportunities both in radio and television and uh it's i can't you know there aren't too many states that 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 are better than this one with regard to uh broadcast opportunities that that's for sure i think i think i'm safe saying that did you ever have any unique odd jobs to make ends meet early in your sportscasting career? Uh, no, I mean, I, I had, uh, while I was working at Carson Newman all those 12 years, I was doing other things uh, related to broadcasting. I mean, I, I was uh, was working at a radio station along with uh, doing the play-by-play for Carson Newman. Also, during those 12 years, worked as a, a weeknight sports anchor at one of the Knoxville sports stations, worked full-time uh, in the media relations department at, at Carson Newman College for, for a time during those 12 years. So, um, And once I went to from there to Marshall, I was a full-time employee of the university while I was there, and uh, now I'm a full-time employee at IMG College. So uh, uh once I got into broadcasting, I was I was I was in full tilt. I didn't. All my odd jobs came prior to that, um, prior to getting getting into broadcasting. So I, I've been very fortunate uh, in, in that regard because there are an awful lot of men and women who, um, you know, work on a freelance basis, and they they do have to do things on on other days when they aren't working a, a game where they're having to do whatever. But I've been fortunate, uh, really, that I haven't. Uh, had to do that. Who are some of your favorite broadcasters in the area that maybe are under the radar a little bit to the national audience? Oh well, I, you know I think you could say that almost about all of the the radio guys. You know the the, the team guys, even though you know, for instance, someone like Woody Durham, huge in this state, and even known to some national media, but you know people out in Las Vegas watching a game they they don't they don't know who those types of people are um but when you're talking about you know Woody Durham and and Bob Harris and you know Gary Hahn down at North Carolina State is a 
wonderful broadcaster. Um, I mean, we could sit here all night and and talk about uh, the level of talent uh, uh, around these parts. I think we we really could. You could do a whole podcast on on that. Um, so I, you know, and, I, and I'd hate to mention many more names because I'd leave out too many. Uh, there, there's just some really solid talent uh, in and around these parts, and it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. There's just so many opportunities. I mean, you've got NFL, NHL, uh, NBA, ACC, and and on down the line. So, uh, and and you know, you look at at how long. You know, some of these people have been in these jobs. Then, you know, if you're at a job for decades and decades and decades, you're probably pretty good at it. Um, and people receive your broadcasts uh, favorably, and they they want you there, and they get used to you there, and um, and you know, you you, you see that a lot uh, at schools where a broadcaster kind of becomes part of the fabric of of that team and that school and that fan base and that's uh, that's that's fun i mean you've again you've had people do it in this state uh and you know i've been at wake for 21 years now and and that's what half of what roughly bob harris and woody durham did uh, at, at Duke in North Carolina. So I got a long way to go, but hopefully the, the opportunity will be there. Um, I'm not sure I'll be able to see in 20 years, but, uh, um, it's, it's an incredible privilege, uh, to have the job that I have, uh, because I know there's so many people out there who are, who are talented and working hard and can't get a break. Uh, or feel that you know that that they'll be whatever level they're working in now. They want to get higher than that, and they think if they don't, that they're going to be a failure. Well, that's that's not right, um, because they're you know, and it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier with regard to to timing and opportunity. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. It, sometimes it just doesn't happen. But that. That certainly doesn't mean it's a reflection on somebody's ability or, or anything like that. So, um, again, I, I feel privileged to be where I am uh, and to have the opportunity to do what I love to do. You mentioned before we started recording that you're an empty nester. Of course, it sounds like, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but it sounds like you've been married for a very long time. There's a lot of challenges that comes with that and a, the demands of a sports casting career, how did you make it work? Well, yeah, you have to carve out time for your family. You just have to do that. Um, and, and I've tried to be intentional about that. And the great thing about doing what we do, we work so many nights and weekends that there are other parts of the week where we, we, we don't have to work. And we can take that opportunity to, to go to a school play or to go to uh, 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 a volleyball game or or a basketball game or a soccer game and, and spend time with your kids that, that, that other people might not have the opportunity to do. But you really have to work hard at it and be intentional about it. Um, you know, we've raised two girls here, both 
both were athletes, both had opportunities to play a lot of games. And I had the great fortune to see most of them. Not all of them, but, but most of them. Um, but that meant, you know, uh, instead of taking a, you know, like I say, we, 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 in what we do, we travel a lot where we work a lot at night. And sometimes when you get a chance to catch your breath, you want to just sit back and, and do that. But it might mean, nope, got to get up and, and, and go early to a soccer game or go across town or cross half the state to, to, to see a volleyball match or a soccer game, whatever. And, and you do that, um, um, so you have to, you have to kind of make that time for your family. And, um, because what we do is does take you away from your family a lot. Um, there is travel, especially over, uh, the, the holidays, the, the Christmas holidays and, and that time of year when a lot of people are off from work and, and spending time with family. Those are a lot of the times where, where we're on the road and traveling and I can't, I couldn't tell you a time I've been with my family on Thanksgiving um, because we had basketball to get ready for or something else. So, um, but you make, you make time at, at, in other, you know, parts of the month or, or later on down the line. So, um, but if you don't take the time and be intentional about it, uh, then, then you're going to miss out on your family and that's, that's not a good thing. Take us through your preparation process for basketball. Well, it was well, it was funny. I was asked by uh, someone at IMG uh, in the accounting office to try to account for my time getting ready for a broadcast. And the more I thought about it, it was like, you know, almost everything I do is in preparation to go on the air, whether that's... Uh, spending time at practice or reading a newspaper or listening uh, to a radio show or uh, watching uh, a replay of a game or it, 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 it doesn't matter almost anything you do. And that even, I think you can just reading the newspaper, not the sports page, just the news. I mean, I think if, if, if you go on the air and you don't know what's going on in the world around you, sports and otherwise, you're making a mistake. And so I try to look at, at almost everything I do during season is in some way, shape, or form prepping for the broadcast because, again, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how much time you're going to have to fill. You don't you cannot predict once the red light goes on the things that you're going to be talking about uh, and, and what types of little uh, rivers might open up for you to go down. For instance, back in 2006, we were at Ole Miss in a football game and had an hour and 45-minute weather delay. And during that entire time, we did not take a commercial break because of computer situation back in the studio. And so there you are with an, almost two hours of time to fill and try to hold an audience. That wasn't easy to do. We managed it. Uh, we made it. We had a lot of uh, live interviews. We had people getting people for us and bringing them in there. And, and 
Now, we, we were able to go back to the studio on a number of occasions, but, you know, again, that's a perfect opportunity to where you better have a lot of fuel in the tank uh, because you, you, you don't know how much you're going to need to get home. So, um, but a typical, I, I do a lot of, I, I record a lot of games and, and watch a lot of games. I try to watch those games with my charts. Uh, I have a spotter charts and most, most play-by-play guys do. Um, rosters of the teams and stats and all that type of stuff. And I, and I try to watch a game so that when when the game broadcast comes around, the red light goes on. It's not the first time I've seen, for instance, uh, Clemson. Uh, I, I want to be able to, uh, in in my head at least, know a little bit about the personnel that I didn't get from a piece of paper. You know, I've seen it before. Some of the plays they run, it, you know, you can see the formation. You, you have all this this type of information in your head that, that helps you get ready. So I try to watch as much video as I can. Um, and I've learned over the years, I mean, you, I, I don't know what the, the percentages would be, but my charts have an awful lot of information on them. And I typically typically will go back after the game, listen to the broadcast with my charts again in front of me, just kind of look at what information I used, what information I didn't use that helps me maybe for the next game. Uh, maybe if I go two or three games without using a certain piece of information, maybe it's just I don't need that information, so I don't put it on you know, for that fourth game. And You, 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 you kind of learn. Everybody's different. You, 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 you find out um, what you use and don't use, and and you you always want to have more information than you're going to need because of the situation we just talked about. You never know how much fuel you're going to need to get home. So, um, but <clears throat> um, I read an awful lot. Um, it's you, know, you just again you 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 want to have that information. You want to have you want to know some things about the players. You try to read some <clears throat> some. Uh, some newspaper accounts, you know, a personal story, a, a human interest side of an athlete or a coach. You try to do all those types of things. Um, I, I, I like stats to a certain degree, um, but I think, especially in a radio broadcast, I think stats can you can overload people with numbers that you know you're driving down the road in your car, and it, sometimes it's hard to <clears throat> process numerical information if you if you don't have it in front of you on a piece of paper. Um, so I, I don't, I don't bog people down with stats. I give numbers that are, that are, you know, that, that you have to have, but, but I, I would, I would choose more human interest and team oriented information over a stat any day. All right. I think we have taken up just about enough of your time for one night. So if somebody wanted to reach out with you and reach out to you and get a hold of you, how would they do so? Um, email probably is the best. I'd be happy to give my email address. Um, it's stan.cotton at C-O-T-T-E-N at I-M-G.com. be more than happy to uh, entertain folks. Well, this has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Again, we are visiting with Stan Cotton. He is the football and basketball voice of Wake Forest. And I guess I should have you. I I really appreciate you coming on today. 
No problem, and uh, sorry for the German Shepherd. He, he's normally pretty quiet. Like I said, it's just extra ambiance on the Say the Damn Score <laughs> podcast. So thanks for joining us here on the Say the Damn Score podcast. You can make sure to subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can follow me on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan. You can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash say the damn score and we're also now on google play music so a lot of ways to follow say the damn score we thank everybody who already does and the next time you're on the air remember to say the damn score just a little bit more